Hello everybody, you listen to J Movie Talk episode 253 as I'll be talking the movie The Killer Elite. Mike Locken and George Hansen are friends. <laughs> they share just about everything. Hey, give me a hundred. Yeah, well, what can you do with this stuff now? It's monopoly money. The same apartment. Here's your juice. You can shower there. The same women. What do you think of that little chick you just left in bed? They even share the same job. They work for the CIA. They're part of the killer elite. James Kahn and Robert Duval in Sam Peckinpah's The Killer Elite, a very private enterprise that employs cab drivers. I used to think what I did was nice and necessary. What the hell do I know? Pretty girls. Sportsmen. And yet meet that with a psycho. Executives. The CIA gives us 11% of our gross. Everybody get back. That's uh, plastique with a detonator. What should I do with it? See that bay right there? I'd run down there and chuck it in there. Listen, uh, officer, I- I'd sure run. What a dumb James Kahn is locking. He was the best until he was broken. You're a cripple. You'll never be top gun again. Then he became even better. I'm coming back full duty. <laughs> Robert Duval is Hanson. They were close. Are you part of the organization? But not close enough. You just retired, Mike. Enjoyed it. But I can't blow up his best friend. Where's the morality in the world? If it hadn't been me, it would have been somebody else. Everybody pays you, don't they? We're all idealists. James Kahn. Robert Duval. Arthur Hill. Gig Young. The Killer Elite. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm back continuing on with May Action Month. Um pushing right along almost over but uh not quite yet because after this episode i have one more to do for the month of may and then we'll be over but uh before we get to that last episode of may action month um with episode 253 here i'm talking about the 1975 somewhat underrated and forgotten film the killer elite with stars uh james conn um and robert duvall is probably the two biggest names from this movie um and everything but it also co-stars burt young in one of his earlier movies and it's funny like this movie came out the year before rocky um but in a sense burt young is kind of playing a variation of the paulie character just not as racist um and everything um, it also stars Bo Hopkins, who I remember for a long time, I used to get confused with Jerry Reed because I think I talked about that on the um, when I was doing Burt Reynolds month and the fact that Bo Hopkins is in White Lightning and then Jerry Reed is in Gator. But if you're not really paying attention, you would swear that Jerry Reed and Bo Hopkins was the same person. Um and everything especially back then um let's see it's also we have uh mako who's probably best known for being in the um 
the Conan movie, or Conan the Destroyer, I believe. Um, and and then a couple of other, like what I like to refer as Sam Peck and Paul regulars that show up in this movie. Um, speaking of Sam Peck and Paul, uh, this is my back-to-back Peck and Paul film because last week's episode I did the getaway from 1972. And here we are a few years after in 75 with the getaway. Oh, not the getaway, but with uh, the killer elite. I'm sorry. Um, And me as a Peckinpah film fan of where I do feel like this is like the true beginnings of his decline even though when you look back at his filmography and everything and you see where of course 1969 with the wild bunch is probably still his best film um and everything but then he follows that with um he he follows that up I mean, it's his best film uh, with the Wild Bunch in seventy in sixty nine, and then he follows that up with the Ballad of Cable Hog, which is a ridiculous kind of fever dream of a movie. Um, but it's it, it has its moments because Jason Robards is just a madman in that movie, especially with how he uh, drools all over Stella Stevens in that movie. Um, but in seventy one, of course, he does Straw Dogs. Uh, which it is a very interesting, you know, it's a home invasion movie. And just to see Dustin Hoffman make that transformation from the weak, um, you know, man that he is until like this gun nut um, towards the end because he's protecting his home um, and everything. And then he does Junior Bonner in 72, which I've still never watched. Um, I don't know. I just never really cared to watch it. I mean, I might watch it someday, but who knows? Um, and it's interesting that he does two movies with Steve McQueen. They both come out in 72. Jimmy Bonner and The Getaway both came out in 72. And then he does Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which for me is a very good movie that not too many people talk about, especially when they talk about Billy the Kid movies. I mean, of course, Young Guns is always brought up um, and rightfully so, but. I think Pat Garrett and Billy Kidd is one of those movies that should be talked about more. Um, 74, he does Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which I did a long, long time ago on the podcast, which it might be a revisit, rewatch um, that I do here at some point. I don't know. It might make the make it in before the end of the year since I'm doing the Killer Elite and I did the Getaway, which both were. Both are revisits um, from earlier episodes from way back in the beginnings um, and everything. And here we are in 75 with the killer elite. Um, but I do feel like this is the beginnings of the decline for Peckinpah as a filmmaker because he's, you know, kind of going through it. He at this point, he's, you know, just 
over the whole Hollywood um, machine in a sense and everything. And he's just heavy on to his alcohol addiction. So you can tell like, okay, he's not as crisp and tight as he once was with the choices he would make in his earlier films. But even when he's down bad, he's still pretty good at what he did. Um, at least in my opinion, again, so this movie, it, it reunites two Godfather actors in James Caan and Robert Duvall, who in the Godfather and of course, Godfather part two, they don't share, you know, as much screen time, but especially in Godfather two, cause they only in a flashback scene together, but that's probably the most you really see them together. I mean, there's a few. There's like the little moments you see of them in the first Godfather film when Sonny takes over as as head of the family. But you still don't get like a a lot with them where this movie, they're best friends um, and they play the characters of Locken and Hanson and and everything. And the movie kicks off with probably like one of my favorite like openings because that that Jerry Fielding score is, it, I don't know, just something about the drums and like how it, how it sounds. Of course, it's going to be added into this episode, so you'll be able to hear what I'm talking about. But I don't know. I've just always enjoyed like Jerry Fielding's scores from back in the day, and and of course, anytime he did something for Peggy Part, it always just sounded dope to me, um, and everything. So the movie it it opens with the uh, locking and Hanson. They're basically getting a witness out of a safe house uh, and they're doing it real quick and they basically shoving this man into the back of this car and as they pulling away of uh, the building explodes because they was rigging it to explode we don't know exactly why they had to ditch this spot and, and everything but we just know that they had to get out of there quick and they getting the hell out of there and, and everything and it's funny how they like like are these dudes really like who they say they are because they just they cracking jokes and everything which they do quite a bit of in the beginning part of this movie they're cracking a lot of jokes with each other even in a stressful situation they're cracking jokes um so like i say that's what we get with them and then later on we we're with locking and hansen where they're having this this kind of house party and locking of course is showing off for the girls and hansen he's just sitting there trying to be cool and everything and then locking he's like you know what i'm for going to back with this chick and Hanson, you you know, you on your own, you figure it out, basically. So he leave and then Hanson gets up and like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm going to hit you back there having sex with some girl. So the next morning, um, Hanson comes in. And he's literally standing and like hovering over. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? And just looking real creepy, like, which is funny because Robert Duvall, he, he just had this look about him like, yeah, he real sleazy or something. So he's just standing there and then Locken wakes up. He's like, what? He's like, huh? he's like, five more minutes, dad. And those type of thing. He's like, no, nah, we got to go because they're going back to look over the, to watch over the witness that they, that they had earlier in the movie. So they get up and they leave and everything. And, um, and on their way to this duck farm, that's where they have this witness. Um, Hanson pulls out this paper and says, you know, while you was in the back with this chick, I was being a nosy bastard and I went rummaging through her, her, her purse and everything. And I found this document and 
this whole thing about the fact that this girl has a venereal disease and the sheer heartbreak and hurt that comes over James Conn's face is priceless. And he's like, wait a minute. Like, that don't mean nothing. Like, that don't mean that wait, she got something. Like, like why don't you why don't you stop me, man? Like, well, like I'm, I'm supposed to be your best friend. This how you do me? Like, so, you know, he just kind of heard about this. So they end up getting to the duck farm where um, they're relieving the other team that's watching over the guy and as they come in and everything they and they kind of get settled um whatnot um we find out that that was a whole gag that um hansen had come up with just to kind of mess with locking and he was like oh you you're a dirty guy and everything like that so um locking goes in the back to take a shower and while he's doing that uh, the witness is talking with with Hanson, and I never really noticed it before um, watching this movie, but I noticed it this time watching it for the episode where it almost seemed like the witness knew that Hanson was going to do what he was about to do and talking about the fact that he's a mercenary and everything like this because Hanson had taken out his handgun. He got it sitting on the on the monitors and everything and the guy sits down and he's like he doesn't feel too good so while he's sitting on the couch Hanson because he has a silencer on his gun he takes the gun shoots the witness in the head he's dead Locking doesn't know anything that's going on right now because like I say he's in the back taking a shower when he opens the shower curtain there's Hanson just sitting there he's like what the hell are you doing and everything so so he kind of like half hardly points the gun at him. like stop playing around and everything so Hanson you know, he's still pointing the gun at Locking. Locking walks past him because he got, got the towel wrapped around him. And then it's like Locking realized, like, oh no. Like, oh, this is this is really about to happen. So he sees his gun sitting on the sink. And even though he know he he doesn't really have a chance to get to it, but he still tries to go for it. And when he goes for it, uh Hansen shoots him in the elbow and then shoots him in the knee. And he tells him to enjoy retirement. So basically, Hanson really is a dirty, dirty bastard, pretty much. But we don't, we never find out exactly why he does what he does, um, and everything. That's one of the things about this movie that we don't get a lot of like true backstory to a lot of stuff. We just have to go with the flow of the movie because the movie pretty much moves moves straightforward, um. For the most part, um, there's there's really like not a lot of time to get to know these people. Like we just find out the bare bases about them and then we're moving on to the next thing. So after everything that happens, Locking is alive, but he's rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery because, of course, they had to do a surgery on his elbow and his knee. So he's pretty much out of the game. He's he's retired. Like, like, like Hanson said, and I guess this is how they retire you by shooting you in the elbow and shooting you in the damn knee. Like, really? Like, all right. So, um, we, we get to see where Locking, you know, he's recuperating and everything and his bosses, uh, Cap, Cap Hollis, uh, played by Arthur Hill and, uh, Wayburn played by Gig Young, they show up. And they basically like checking on him and letting him know, like, hey, like, look, you're done. Like, you out of the game. We don't know where Hanson is. He he went underground somewhere, but 
as far as you, you know, being a special ops, like <laughs> that's it. Like who knows? Maybe you can sit behind a desk. I don't know, but um, other than that, you're pretty much done for field duty. So Locken, you know, he it's like he has to accept the fact that he can't do what he used to do, and also too, he feels hurt and double crossed by his best friend, you know, and everything. So we spent some time like getting to just see Locken on his recovery, basically, and. He forms this relationship with his nurse. And one thing that has always kind of, well, I should say, I never really understood a lot about older action movies like this. And they did this up until, I want to say, like the early 90s, uh, where you would have this woman character who gets involved with one of the main characters of a movie. And she's there just for a moment in time. But then it's like when, okay, we got to go do something. It's like, you just, you never see her again. Um, I, you would see that a lot in movies and that's kind of the same thing happens here. I mean, a perfect example of what I'm talking about is Joanna Watley, uh, character in Navy SEAL. She's in the first half of that movie, but then up until the point of where, okay, they got to go on that that new, that last mission you know you just never see her again and you never see her again in the movie after that because i guess it wasn't important to go back to so you never know what what goes on with, with that relationship afterwards and like i say you, you you would get a lot of that in movies and that happens here with Locken and this character of uh, suzanne the nurse where she nurses him back to health they end up forming a relationship. She's there doing his recovery, his, you know, getting himself better, getting to the point of where he can, you know, function as a disabled person, basically, because he is because he, he has this this bulky ass elbow brace that he has to wear and his knee all messed up. He basically washed um, in a sense. So uh, while he's on his road to recovery, um, that's where we get. Um, Cap he shows up and he's basically letting Locken know like like hey well, I, I, it's good to see you getting back healthy it's good to see you kind of walking around you got that cane I see but it's good to see you walking around say but hey you, you, you done you know we putting your, your jersey in the rafters like that's it like so just enjoy your retirement and everything just be cool and Lockett, of course, is like, you dirty motherfucker. Like, I don't, you know, this shit. But he kind of like, all right, whatever. He's like, so he tries to make it like a joke out of it. He's like, well, I'll just limp on out of here. How about that? You know, type of thing. So Lockett, he, he leaves. So we get to where we're introduced to Yin Chan, played by Mako. And the way this scene plays out is where him and his daughter and his entourage is arriving at the airport and they basically get well damn they get ambushed at the airport but because they some badasses themselves they they literally fight they they way out of this situation and they end up disappearing so uh wayburn and, and cap they get notified by 
a man named O'Leary played by someone named Tom Clancy, who I really had to look it up. Like, that's not the Tom Clancy, is it? But no, it's not. It's just some guy who has the same name as Tom Clancy um, and everything. But it would be funny if it was him, but it's not. Um, So he O'Leary works for the FBI and he basically lets um, Wayburn and Cap know like, OK, basically give us a backstory about who Yen Chan is and the fact that why he's on the run and that he's not a threat to the United States right now, but we don't want him to die in the United States. So maybe if you could get someone to basically, you know, get him and put him in the safe space for a while until you're able to get him out of the country, then that's cool. So Wayburn, he tells Cap to give this to Lockin because the reason for that is because we find out that Hanson is leading the team that's trying to kill Yen. So, so this is why Lockin is brought back into the fold. And Cap at first is like, wait a minute, we just put his jersey in the rafters. Like, now I got to bring it down and everything. And it's pretty much... Yeah, because I'm using the whole Jordan and Nazareth here. It's like, no, nah, we're not bringing out 23. He's 45 now. He's not 23, but he's four. He he can he's number 45 right now. So, so um, Cap he goes to see Lock and he's and basically saying like, hey, remember what I said earlier about you being old and washed now? Like, nah, you know what? You can. How about this? I got a job for you, and the reason why I'm giving you this job is because. You get to go after your old buddy of Hanson, who retired you in the first place. So Lockin kind of thinks about it, and the whole thing that kind of that kind of sells it for him. Besides the fact that he's given his job to do, is the fact that he's able to pick his own team. He basically has creative control over everything right now. So he's like, "Oh yeah, oh you gonna let me run the show? All right." So. So Lockin, he's like, okay, uh, I get a uh, Mac and Miller, which I always find it funny. Like it's two different characters named Mac and Miller when there was a rapper named Mac Miller, but that's another story. Um, so he, so Lockin, he goes to get Mac and Miller and as his backup. And, and these two are literally a wild bunch because he goes to get, um, Miller first played by, um, <clears throat> He goes to get Miller first played by um, Bo Hopkins, who is considered a certifiable nut job. He goes to get him like, hey, like, I need you, you know, as backup on this job that I got going. He's like, all right, sure, or whatever, and everything. So then he goes to get Mac. Mac is played by Burt Young. And like I say, if, if you've seen Burt Young in the Rocky movies, he, he just just think about Paulie. Just he's not Paulie, and he's a little bit more skilled here than what you have probably seen him in other movies and just speaking about Burke Young for a second it's funny like this man was in his mid 30s at this point in time but damn it the hell if he didn't look he looked like he was like four in his 40s pushing 50 um but it's funny seeing him in this role because he he is somewhat of a badass he's this he's a driver but also too he's very uh, he's very good with situational awareness. And what I mean by that is when Lockin goes to see him at his uh, shop and everything that he runs, 
and you know Lockin is pretty much telling him you know what's you know what the job is what's going on and uh Mac's wife Josephine whenever she comes around she refers to Lockin as Mr. Davis and Lockin can't understand that but while they're talking um Mac he goes over like behind a locker and the doors open and everything he's talking with with Lockin you're not really thinking about what he he's doing back there but then when Miller shows up and everything and he comes in and he sees Lockin and he's like who's the who's the idiot behind the uh, locker and when he when he opens the locker up he got his gun and it's like oh so you basically was already preparing yourself for like if somebody was about to do something anyway and he kind of plays it off like oh you know Josephine she's been robbed a few times but it's just a way that he is aware of a lot of like his his surroundings and situations like okay he's not as goofy as he portrays himself to be and we see that a few more times throughout the movie as well but i think burt young is really good in this movie but it is funny especially seeing him in a fight scene later in the movie it's like what the hell hell is paulie doing because i mean he's forever gonna be known as paulie from the rocking movies but it's like just funny like seeing paulie like running around with a gun and and actually fighting and stuff in the movie so <clears throat> so after the team gets together um locking locking and crew they basically go find again and they find where he's held up at and as they go to chinatown and everything they kind of do like a little surveillance around just to like okay if hansen is around where he might be so we do find out that hansen and his guy that's with him hamilton is actually perched up on one of the top buildings and they're just kind of waiting to see like get a good shot at um get a good shot at yin whenever he decides to surface so while while they're up there like that locking he tells um he tells mac to you know pull up in front of the building he'll get out but y'all go around the back way because that's when we're bringing them out at so he goes up and that's when he meets yin and his whole entourage and it's funny how these people basically have locking in a damn blender because everyone is asking questions and Lockett just trying to figure like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Like who exactly here is answering the question? Who exactly am I talking to? And Yen is like, you talking to me, but there's other people who's asking him questions, but they're speaking for Yen. And it's just a funny scene of how that plays out, but it's crazy. Like how that kind of goes and everything. So while they're, while Mac and Miller are down waiting for locking to come out with Yen, they notice that um that Hansen is up on the roof and he waits. So Miller goes in and he goes up to get locking and they damn near beat the hell out of him. <laughs> Miller when he comes through the door, like, whoa, 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 I'm a locking, locking. Y'all know locking? Like like don't kill me, you know, and everything. It's like it's cool. I'm a, I'm I'm one of the good guys, basically. So they are getting ready to leave. And as they're leaving, there's this cop that that's basically you know right there on the stairwell waiting on them and and locking he's trying to talk his way out of it and miller he comes along with his shotguns like like you don't want to draw down on the cop he's like yeah you need to listen to your friend there and without even thinking about it miller shoots and kills the cop and locking's like what the hell are you doing and he's like he ain't no cop he's like if he was a cop he wouldn't be having this because he actually knows 
the actual sidearm special that the police officers use and everything. And that's how he knew that this guy wasn't a cop. And it's like, what the hell? So as they're getting ready to leave, this is where we get one of like our first like big action scenes where you get this whole shootout on the street. Uh, this old man is with Yen. He ends up, he gets killed. So it ends up only being Yen, his daughter, Tommy, um, this other guy. So basically just three of them that ends up getting out of there, even though it was a whole family that was sitting up, um, you know, in this house, but only three of them end up getting out of there uh, along with locking. So this is where we see where Mac is very good at what he does. Cause he's a, he's a good driver. So they end up getting chased around and everything, but he do end up crashing into somebody's car, but this thing is built like a damn juggernaut. So it barely has any type of damage to it. So they end up uh, losing the cops, but while they're driving, uh, Mackie's like, uh, something ain't right. So he's like, I gotta pull over for a second. So he pulls over on the side of the uh, highway, basically. And he goes and goes looking underneath the car and he realizes like, like, wait a minute. It's a damn bomb that's been attached to the car because back when they was at his shop, there was this other mechanic guy that was actually fooling around underneath the car and actually placed this damn bomb under it. So while Mac is underneath the car, you know, trying to dis disable the bomb from the muffler and everything, this this motorcycle cop pulls up and he's like, all right, everybody, uh, I want to see some ID and everything like this. And he's kicking that uh, Mac who's underneath the car. He's like, yeah, I want to see some ID from you too. He's like, in a second. And so him and the cop is kind of having words while he's underneath, like dislocating the bomb and everything. So the cop, he, he's standing there. Everybody's like showing the IDs and their thing. Mac, he comes from underneath the car. He got the, the bomb in his hand. So he's showing, it's like, yeah, I'm, like I was getting this bomb. And the cop's like, what bomb? Like this bomb. Like, man, that ain't, man, that's an old piece of muffler. That ain't no bomb. He's like, no, no, look here. He's like, that's the timer. And that's, you know, everything. He basically explains to it. He's like, wait a minute. Uh, so what do I do? It's like, well, uh, you, you know, basically want to get rid of it. He's like, well, maybe I chuck it over. He's like, whoa, 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 that's C4. Like, you can't just throw that just randomly somewhere. You can kill a bunch of, hurt a bunch of people or something. So the cop, he basically was about to get back on his motorcycle and drive down to the bay and throw it in the bay. But it was like, well, hey, uh, officer, you really should hurry. So he literally takes off running. Everybody gets back in the car. They're like this dummy. So what's funny about it is when we see the cab car that is driving to the to the little rendezvous spot, like in the background, you literally hear the explosion from that bomb. And it's almost like, well, did he make it to the bay or did he get blowed up? We never know. But it's just funny how that scene kind of plays out. So this is where we find out that cap is no good because he is using locking for yin but at the same time he is working with hansen and the asian group that wants yin dead and it's like oh cap you really ain't no good are you and everything and we find it out when they all have this big meeting and everything and this is why Hanson know exactly where Locken is going to be at all times, because 
as Locken is calling with updates to Cap, Cap is giving those updates to Hanson so he'll know exactly where Locken is. It's like, what the hell is going on here? So, uh, Wayburn actually starts to get suspicious of Cap. And he he kind of feels like, okay, something sleazy is going on. So, like, all right. So, when, when, when Locken gets to a certain rendezvous point, he won't let Cap out of his sight. So Cap can't make the phone call to Hanson to tell him where exactly is Ed. And you can tell Wayburn realizes like, yeah, Cap, yeah, you, yeah, you, you doing some dirty shit pretty much. And I just think it's funny, like how that kind of plays out with Wayburn being suspicious of Cap. But again, there's never anything that lets us know, like what made Wayburn suspicious of Cap to begin with. Um, so I do want to talk about James Conn for a minute because I've had conversations with some people regarding James Conn. And I know some people, they've never really liked James Conn as a actor. Uh, they've always kind of felt like there was something about him that's kind of, eh, and, and everything. So him in this movie as our lead character of Locken, he's not bad. Um, I don't really have a problem with with him per se. I mean, of the movies I've seen him in outside of The Godfather, uh, it's kind of been hit or miss um, type of thing. He he always plays like I don't ever think I've ever seen him in a movie where he's just like an outright good guy. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't a movie out there like that, but everything that I've seen him in, he's never an outright good guy. He's either a middle of the road good guy like in this or he's a outright bad guy like in eraser um and everything but like i said i I, me personally i don't have too much of a problem with him um in a sense but i can kind of see why certain people (laughs) take issue with james con as an actor or even as a person um and everything but yeah, like I said, he, he's not too bad in this either. Um, so, Locken, in order to get Hanson, he starts to use Yin as bait and take them to this uh, this boatyard. And that's what he held, that's what he hold up. And that's where Cap ends up telling Hanson where Locken is. Um, so, they end up, so Hanson ends up showing up to the boatyard and and everything and this is where we get this whole standoff between Hanson and Locken finally because this is the first time like they're they're face to face since uh Hanson shot Locken and you're thinking like okay the fact that Hanson and Locken were best friends now they're bitter enemies you know it's a whole revenge type thing and and the big showdown should be between these two because that's what it seemed like it was building up to but the story actually takes a left-hand turn because even though Hanson you know he shows up he's the one that's basically hunting Locken and Locken is playing games with him the story doesn't allow us to really get the payoff that we wanted and what I mean by that is the fact that you know, Locken, you know, he, like I said, he uses Yen as bait to lure Hanson in. Hanson ends up getting hold to Tommy, uh, Yen's daughter, and is using her as a shield as they're kind of having this standoff. And 
it's uh, it's kind of interesting the fact that it's not locking but instead it's miller that's the one that actually kills hansen and it's like oh wait a minute it's almost it's almost kind of anticlimactic of how climactic i should say how um how uh robert duvall character is killed off in this movie because it's not a it's not in a glorious way and it's not by the hand of hansen and even i mean it's not by the hand of Locken. and even Locken himself kind of has this look on his face like like damn that's how it that's how it goes it's like okay so the movie does kind of lose somewhat of its luster after robert duvall character is killed off but we still have more to go because it's like okay Hansen was just a pawn in the in a bigger scheme of things. So they end up leaving and going to this uh, shipyard where Cap and some of his goons are waiting um, and everything basically to ambush Locken and so they can kill Yen. Um, but while they're there, we get this whole like crazy fight action scene with these goons. Uh, and then of course that Asian group, the one that's trying to kill Yen, they show up, and so we get like a damn, we get a shootout with some with some martial art fight scenes thrown in, because you know back during that time in the seventies, that was like a big thing, like you're gonna get some some karate scenes in a movie, whether it needed it or not, it was just gonna it was gonna happen pretty much. Uh, I like to call that the Bruce Lee effect, really. Um, but. And this is where, like I say, you see Burt Young running around. You know, he's either shooting somebody or he's brawling and fighting and everything. James Conn is doing, trying to do some karate fighting. And, of course, him with this damn cane and this big bionic elbow that he got. And he's getting beat up at the same time because, like I said earlier, he is somewhat washed. You know, he can't move the way he once did. But they end up somehow succeeding but in the process of this miller he gets killed um and everything so he he's done um and everything so after everything kind of calms down where only our main characters are still standing because in the process of, i forgot to mention in the process of this cap he gets shot in the elbow in the knee as well by locking because he's like here you know you're retired now and everything so cap now is out of the game now his jersey is retired um, and everything so after the you know after everything kind of clears the the leader of the the group the the crew that wants to kill yin tao he shows up and he demands to have a one-on-one with yin and Locken's like whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute like we didn't just go through all of this to save you just for you to go have this sword fight with this dude and what if he beats you and then you die like it was all for nothing but one of my favorite lines um, in a movie is what Yin tells Locke. He say, if I don't survive, then maybe I'm not the man for, you know, I wasn't, I'm not the man that's supposed to be for the job or something like that. So, so Locke looking confused, like, like what kind of weird ass philosophy is that? So we get the sword fight between Yin and Tao and it's pretty decent and everything. And then Yin ends up killing Tao and Tao's people is like shit like god damn it you know and everything so they kind of get pissed and they but they just leave you know because i mean it's an honorable it was a one-on-one it was a one-on-one fight it wasn't like oh it was just a big thing and everybody's involved no it was, it was a straight up Tao lost fair and square yin survives so you know guess he is the man for the job right 
so Wayburn he shows up with his people and he basically he knew all along actually that Cap was dirty he just couldn't prove it himself so he basically used Locken to expose Cap for being the no good son of a bitch that he really was with this whole him basically being a double agent or whatever the hell he's supposed to be um so Mackie's like man like look like we 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 done with this like come on like we can just we can just roll out and everything like you did your job Wayburn you don't want to go back and work for Wayburn because what if he ends up you know selling you out at some point so Lockin kind of thinks about it and then he goes over to uh Cap he's like uh yeah you owe me some money didn't you because he was because before uh Lockin shot Cap Cap was basically trying to pay him off so he could get yen so he's like you owe me some money don't you so he ends up taking the money that uh, Cap was going to try to use to bribe him with. Takes that him and Mac, they end up saying, all right, Ian, I'll be seeing you type of thing. They end up rolling out. They go back and they go back to their boat. And as they leaving, I always like this line, too, where they leave. He's like, so because um, Mac, he says, so where we going? And Lockin is like, I don't know where we going. He said, I, he said, I don't know where we been. But I know where we was wasn't it. And so they end up getting on, on the boat and they just go sailing off and everything. And as they're leaving, Mac is like, well, what about Josephine and everything? And and Locking is like, well, let's just let's just leave her for Mr. Davis. Like what? So they pretty much sails off into the sunset. Yen is taken, you know, taken to be taken back to his country, you know, and everything where. I guess he's going to be the new man in charge there because that was the whole thing that they were trying to kill him. So he wasn't rise to power in a good way because he's the good one trying to rise to power. So, you know, in in the end, you know, it's a success. But in a way, this movie plays out It's I feel like there could have been a better story behind it. Um, There are some good parts to the movie. Um, in a lot of ways, but I feel like because of the fact we don't get too, too much backstory of anything really that eh, the movie just kind of, it, it somewhat falls apart, um, towards the end because it seems like the characters know way more than us as the audience, um, in a lot of cases. And even in the end, they still know way more than what we know. Um, so well, as far as a favorite character, um, I kind of, I kind of go back and forth with this, but I'm always gonna say it's 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 Burt Young as um as Mac. He he's my favorite character in this movie because he's just straightforward, no nonsense. He he he, you know, he understands like what's going on and like I say, his situational awareness is pretty pretty dope. So I I don't know, I just I just like him in this movie. It's one of the few times I would actually say I like Burt Young in a movie, right? Um. If I had to rate the movie um, and everything, I would give it a solid. It's a it's a two and a half for me. Um, I enjoy watching the movie, but it's not one that I watch all the time. But I do like to watch it every now and then, just just for like some of the insanity that kind of goes on in the movie um, and stuff like that. And there are some fun parts because, like I say, there is a lot of jokes being cracked in this movie at times that it really shouldn't be. Like there's a lot of dark humor is what I should say in this movie, um, and everything. So, 
that's pretty much it. Um, want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'll be back with episode two fifty four, where me and Jeff from Jeff versus the World, we will be wrapping up May Action Month as we talk about 1986's Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. I'm looking forward to that because it's been a long time since I watched Running Scared um, and everything. So I know we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that movie. Of course, you can follow me on the Twitters at either my personal page, The J Giles, or the movie page, J Movie Talk. Of course, I'm on Instagram at JMT Podcast. Um, and of course, you can find all of the movie talk episode a part of the tv zone podcast network wherever you listen to your podcast and everything and if you can just you know give us some five-star reviews because it actually helps promote more of the network and as well as the podcast and everything like that and also too before i get out of here just want to let everyone know that i did start a patreon page so you know um i have a couple of tiers set up so if you like to support me in any type of way uh the link will be in the show notes um and everything like that so just try to give a little bit more connection with with people and also well i should say give more connection to people as far as myself as well as like things my behind the scenes stuff when it comes to podcasting and just like i say just getting to know me a little bit better and things like that so like I say, if, if you want to support in any type of way, uh, like I say, just check out the, the tiers that I have and like any little bit would be appreciated and everything. So uh, until next time, peace.